1: It is hour number two of OutKick 360 as part of the OutKick Network. We are coming to you live from the 6th and Peabody Studio, downtown Nashville with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. We've gone through our NFL picks. Coming up, we got Armando Salguero from OutKick to talk about week one of the NFL season. Of course, NFL kicking off tonight, Tampa Bay versus Dallas. Uh, Paul, I can't recall uh, a Thursday night game to start a season where we've had this big of a favorite uh, in the game going into it. Typically, I feel like it's much more of a hotly anticipated game because it's the first, but also because the prediction is it's going to be a closer game than what we're getting tonight.
2: Well, I confess that I'm uh, not so conscious of the favorites and the dogs years previous without the yeah. FanDuel app uh, open on my phone all the time. I, I do think uh, when I bet it, it was eight. I don't know what it is now. I don't think uh, it's going to be I think it's seven uh, and a half last night checked. That size margin tonight. I, I do think Dallas will keep it closer than that, though I don't have a lot of faith in Dallas's defense until I, I see it put together. So that might be me wishing it uh, because we've waited for this game, it's hyped, it's the Super Bowl champions hosting, uh, you know, what's supposed to be a good team in the season opener, and I always want a good football game. And I always want a game that comes down to the last play. Um, oftentimes, even if my team's involved, I want a good, tense game. Um, And uh, I, I want that tonight. You know, if I fall asleep, I want to be punished for it.
1: Paul, some big Titans news coming through uh, just now. A.J. Brown, a full participant. A.J.
2: Brown's a full participant of practice Which is big news because... When he was running around, um, he he was in good shape. You know, Arizona's down a cornerback with Malcolm Butler uh, having retired. Two other guys surfaced on the injury report today. Tommy Hudson, the tight end, with a toe, was limited. Josh Reynolds with a foot, who's been an injury story all camp with his up and down, limited. Um, and Chris Jackson and David Long were both limited again. So, um, things to monitor Arizona, pretty
1: healthy. So, um, by the way, Paul, tell people what happened to your face because everyone keeps wanting to comment and ask. What happened to Paul's face? And I've been telling everyone. That's fun. Everybody's asking if you've been punched. I'm like, no, no he's not been I punched. I
2: had a, uh, a small spot of cancer in there that they had to go and, and take out. And then I think it's a little bit worse because they had to leave it open uh, for a day because there was a mole underneath and they had to do pathology on the mole to see if that was cancerous. It was not. So then a plastic surgeon stitched it up like stitched it up like this. And so stitches come out a week from today. Um, and everybody says it looks better than they expected based on the bloody episode I described to you guys and everything. It looks fine. Up close, it's a little uglier than it is from this distance. This distance makes me look tough.
1: Yeah, I think it looks just fine. So, Paul, last night we have our fantasy football draft, and a big thanks to everyone who participated last night. Big thanks to Old Smokey and Yeehaw and Sixth and Peabody for hosting us in the arcade room. We had a great time uh, with some of our, our listeners and viewers So thanks to everyone who took part in it. We're there drafting though, we've got the US Open on the big screen in the room, but throughout the night, I'm doing something that's become a favorite pastime of mine this time of year, and that is rooting against Major League Baseball teams. Scoreboard watching, Paul, when your team is in the hunt for a Major League Baseball playoff spot and my Atlanta Braves are currently, I think two and a half games up on Philadelphia and maybe four games up on the Mets. But watching those other teams and watching scores this time of year is a fun pastime. And I forget about it because we get so caught up in the start of football season, which is understandable, but this too is a great part of this time of the year when your team is in it.
2: Man. You, you've you had some things go your direction lately. It, it, when you get in a strict
1: stretch much like I'm in. For a while, it was fine. So but not I, as much I, I can't
2: watch because Boston is playing well again, better again. The Yankees, you know, won those 13 games and now they're a disaster again. So I get no fulfillment from the scoreboard. Last night, the Yankees lost third in a row to the Blue Jays who are coming on. So that part of the scoreboard's bad. The Blue Jays are gonna catch the Yankees. The Red Sox beat Tampa. Uh, and Tampa losing does me no favors. The Yankees aren't going to catch Tampa at the top of the division. Red Sox coming up right behind them. This thing's going down to the to the wire. But right now, the teams that are playing each other, scoreboard doesn't really help me. So I'm disinterested in in the results, which are going to be bad.
1: We talked a lot about the dailiness of baseball being something really cool and unique to the sport. That's why we still love There's it. There's something about the shot and fraud involved with rooting against teams in your division but it works both ways. Like you said, Paul, the Blue Jays win last night. That hurts you, and it's, d- d- it's not your team directly involved. Well, that was uh, I'm, my, I'm team. my team. They beat my It kills me when I'm watching uh, the Mets, the Phillies, play the Marlins or the Nationals, and the Marlins the Nationals, two bad teams, will have a sizable lead, and then they blow it, and the Phillies the Mets comes back. And I'm sitting there, wa- I'm just watching the score, not watching any of the game. That's painful. And thinking boy, it's painful that I felt like they were going to lose and then they won, and now that negatively affects my team. What's your level of
2: hate for your rivals? Because your stuff is, I don't want to say younger, but um, like Yankees, Red Sox, as old as it is and as far back as it goes in my bloodstream, I actually, and I hate this about myself, I hate the Red Sox more than I love the Yankees.
1: That's a lot that's a lot of people.
2: And so watching them win makes me feel worse than watching the Yankees win makes me feel good. That's terrible. You can't win in that scenario. So I I don't I I don't enjoy it.
1: I think that
2: I enjoyed the thirteen game winning streak, I'll tell you that. It's very so old.
1: It's very common though to just feel relief when your team wins and not overwhelming joy and then to feel despair when your team loses. That's what and Naomi
2: Osaka said about her well, and tennis your, playing. When it's
1: your rival, I do think that there is a – it's weird that it's another loss for you, right? It's weird that it almost feels like another loss when your rival wins. Yes. That it, 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 it affects you that way. But, I, no, I, I feel that way. It's in more for me rivals, like that in baseball I, than anything. I'm a Braves fan. I hate the Marlins. Uh, I don't respect really anything in any fan base in Florida – uh, so the Marlins fall into that Whole category, state. but like the, the the Phillies, I don't hate the Phillies. You know, I want the Phillies to lose, but I don't have some deep hatred if they were to get in the playoffs. I wouldn't be, you know, that upset about. It. I want the Braves to win. So obviously. who's the number one hate? Probably, in it probably goes Marlins and then Mets. See the Marlins though, like hatred. I
2: can understand the hate for the Marlins because they're new and they have no business doing anything. But also, I feel like deep seated hate has to have some time to it.
1: Some I hate that the Marlins have won multiple world championships. Yeah, I hate that, too. And then they suck for 12 years. One of them and then they go win a against, World Series, and they suck for 12 years. Yeah. I, I don't like that about the Marlins.
2: We, we're universal, I think, in our hatred of expansion success.
1: Yeah. Uh, like your Vegas The Vegas, Vegas Knights Golden Knights, thing. Thing. yeah. That's one that, that really killed me. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with Armando Salguero. Let's get the NFL discussion going again. He's got a great column up of some takeaways, talking to general managers, talking to people across the league. It's up at OutKick.com Send right us now. some questions in the YouTube and, talk, uh, and the Twitter chats. We will talk to Armando Salguero when we return. It's OutKick 360. Welcome back. OutKick 360 live from the 6th and Peabody Studios. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Chad Withrow. And we are joined now by Armando Salguero. He is with OutKick.com. He's a senior NFL writer. He is in Tampa right now getting ready to cover the Bucks and the Cowboys tonight. Armando, appreciate you joining us. Uh, we look forward to doing this weekly throughout the season.
0: Chad, Paul, I'm uh, happy to be here. Uh, Outkick has paid for this enormous suite that I have <laughs> in Tampa, and uh, I'm going to head over to the game here in a couple of minutes.
1: We'll have to settle for this luxurious studio uh, behind us and not the suite, but that suite does look very nice. Uh, The outlook for Tampa and Dallas coming into the season looks pretty good too, Armando. Uh, What are you looking forward to most about this game tonight? I I know you wrote about both teams in your latest column and your feature at outkick.com.
0: Well, number one, I want to know if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the Super Bowl champion. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were playing great at the end of the last year. We all know that, right? Tom Brady figured it out, and it took off in the playoffs. And really, they did an amazing job in the offseason. They didn't graduate anyone, as I like to say. They've got all 22 starters back. But what people don't realize is when a team has success like Tampa Bay does or had, you know, typically other Teams come calling and they kind of pluck the best talent and the best minds, except that that didn't happen to the Bucks. They've got their defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, back. They've got their offensive coordinator, Byron Lethwich, back. Obviously, their head coach is back. The general manager is back. The entire staff is back. And so you add 22 players now who are way more comfortable with what they're doing than they were last year. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty formidable situation that they've got building over there.
1: And you're going to see uh, Mike McCarthy and his Dallas Cowboys tonight. And you wrote about Mike McCarthy as, as a coach under the microscope this season. And it's funny because Paul and I were just discussing watching Hard Knocks and how we have a worse impression of Mike McCarthy. You don't want to take too much away from a reality TV show, but we have a worse impression of Mike McCarthy watching him interact with his team and watching him coach on that show. How important is this season for Mike McCarthy? How much of a mulligan do you give them for last season?
0: He gets the mulligan for last season. Obviously, that, that's already happened. Jerry Jones has done that. They had a bunch of injuries, including to Dak Prescott. And so, you know, I think they were 6-10 and 10 last year, something like that. He doesn't, he doesn't bear the brunt of that. But there's no mulligan this year. And Mike McCarthy, you, are, you guys are absolutely right. It looked off a little bit on that show. It, 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 looked, it didn't look like leadership to me all the time. Let, let me put it to you that way. And so he's got to perform. He's done what he needed to do, supposedly, to fix the defense in that. Dan Quinn, who is a very good coach, regardless of what you saw in the Super Bowl years ago, regardless of what you've seen with the Atlanta Falcons the last few years, he's a very good defensive mind. He might be one of those guys that's better off as a coordinator than a head coach. And so, um, you know, I'm going to think that he's going to get that defense somewhat righted. Is it going to be righted enough to where is they're going to factor in the playoffs? I don't know. Is it right enough to where they are probably the class of the NFC East? I think so.
2: You had a really good feeling about Gus Edwards based on having seen him uh, in the state of Florida um, as the replacement for J.K. Dobbins. Now they're going to be replacing Gus Edwards in Baltimore. Two torn ACLs today, the report is. Gus Edwards and Marcus Peterson. Uh, Marcus Peters, uh, drastic day in Baltimore to to lose two guys heading into their opener. Uh, What do you
0: think about the running game now? Well, uh, if you remember that conversation, Paul, I thought that the running game was going to be mostly Lamar Jackson. And (laughs) now now it's really. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, they got Tyson Williams there. They got Le'Veon Bell. I don't know how many sandwiches he's you know, consumed in the last 10 seconds. (laughs) Notice I said sandwiches. Um, But if he gets in shape, he might still have something in the tank. Uh, You know, look, what happened in Baltimore today, I, I, I wouldn't say it's unprecedented, but to lose not just two players, but... Basically, you're starting running back and maybe you're, you know, one of your better corners. And they think that they had before this the best cornerback duo in the NFL. It's not that case anymore. Uh, you know, it's just rough. It, how, it, it's,
2: it, how do you stack up that division?
0: How would you have stacked
2: it up before this? And does that change the way you stack it up?
0: Well, I just, you know, it's funny. I was talking to someone this morning and they were saying, wow, you you picked Cleveland in the division. And we were talking and it was, well, Cleveland's the deepest team in the division. They may not have the best quarterback or the most dynamic quarterback. They have a really good offensive line. They've got a really good front seven and they're deep. And we are entering the NFL's longest season. And so to be deep, is you know a factor it's something to strive for and coincidentally obviously we saw that depth now is going to affect the Baltimore Ravens I don't trust the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line I know they've got two rookies in there now Um, uh, you know the, the T.J. Watt issue is I think an issue And I'm not sure that that just gets resolved with the snap of a finger and the signing of a contract. And so I think the Cleveland Browns are the team in that division.
1: You've got Cliff Kingsbury as one of your coaches uh, under the microscope, but we're going to see him here in Nashville this weekend. Year three uh, for Cliff Kingsbury. Is is this a a hot seat scenario going into the season based on the offensive talent on that roster?
0: Well, where's... I mean, very nice house, right? We all saw it. (laughs) Great (laughs) house. Terrific house. Very nice house. But what kind of offense have you built? Uh, you know, everybody was expecting this air raid offense points, you know, all over the place and different stuff and, you know, all sorts of, um, strange and wild and woolly schemes. Really? I haven't seen that. Have you guys, uh, They've been middling. Uh, they, the only reason that they weren't under 500 last year is because Kyler Murray threw a 56-yard, you know, hail mary and it got caught against Buffalo. Otherwise, they lose that game. Uh, it's it's time for them. They've they've invested a lot of resources. They do have talent. I don't know what the Larry Fitzgerald situation is going to be with them. Uh, but to me, it says something that Larry Fitzgerald didn't come back or hasn't come back that that he knows as well as anyone what's going on in that in that building, in that team. and he decided that you know, having not won a Super Bowl ring, he was good. he's fine, and he might come back somewhere else, but decided no. I'm good with not rejoining the Arizona Cardinals right now.
1: Armando Salguero, our guest on Outkick 360, we just put out our NFL picks and all three of us had the Packers winning the Super Bowl, and we did not Ooh. confer with each other beforehand. We just all ended up picking the Packers. Armando, you're picking the Minnesota Vikings to win the NFC North. This is one of the more shocking picks I've seen so far. Why the Vikings?
0: Kirk Cousins is going to have an amazing year. Uh, In my estimation, Uh, I put on my Karnak hat and (laughs) Cousins was just incredible. And, you know, we'll see at the end of the season. I I just think the Vikings have a, a good squad. I think that they're being slept on. I don't like the Green Bay offensive line. I don't like the whole you know, Aaron Rodgers' drama of the offseason and, you know, the little snide remarks, they just,
2: uh,
0: look, dude, grow up. You're, you're 36, 37 years old. Grow up. And um, I, look, let me put it to you this way. Um, the Minnesota Vikings answer, what team... Upset the Green Bay Packers in the NFC North in 2021. How is that for Jeopardy? Aaron Rodgers?
1: That is <laughs> You could be the next host. Uh, they, they need one, <laughs> apparently. Um, the, looking at the slate of games uh, o- over the weekend, uh, I wanted to ask you about the Seattle and, and Indianapolis. You, you picked the Titans to win the AFC South, and you wrote that it's not because the Titans are great, but because of problems within that division. The Colts are generally looked upon as the other team in the AFC South. that's pretty consistent. What do you think about this week one matchup between them and Seattle?
0: Well, so the Colts have a nice defense. Matt Eber, Eberfluss has, has done a really credible job there. I think he's going to be on the main line of future NFL coaches. So I, I like their defense, but I don't trust Carson Wentz. He is, you know, he breaks your heart. And it's always when you start to believe that something good can happen, something bad happens. And this offseason and and this training camp, we saw it again with the COVID and then with uh, the foot. And I get it. He's going to be fine and he's going to start the season behind center for the Indianapolis Colts. But when's the next shoot a drop for the guy with the bad foot. Uh, I, I just, you know, I just don't trust him. Prove it to me, prove prove it to us. Everybody's waiting. There's no reason why Carson Wentz shouldn't be a very good NFL quarterback, except for the fact that he can't stay on the field and he can't be consistent. And durability is an ability as Bill Parcells said, and it's, and it's a key one and it's the one that is the difference between the Colts being right there with the Tennessee Titans and having, you know, like a rookie start a quarterback for them that wasn't really a rookie that we expect, you know, to do things this year.
2: Hutton and I both like the Panthers this year as an NFC breakout team, a wild card entry in the playoffs. We, we like the coaching staff. We like the roster assembly. We're not all in on Darnold, but we think he can be a serviceable quarterback who's a lot better than he was with the Jets where he didn't have much of a
0: chance. You uh, you with us or you think we're crazy? No, you, that's that's a fair take. That's That's totally fair. The one thing I would say about Darnold is – You're right. Uh, He didn't have a whole lot around him. He didn't have, you know, uh, a whole lot of help in the coaching staffs either. But at some point, a a really good quarterback lifts a team, no? And everybody's talking about, well, you know, they're going to go and Brady is going to turn Darnold into this, you know, what he was supposed to be. How come he didn't do it for Teddy Bridgewater last year? I mean, wasn't he there? Matt Rule? Weren't you there? Uh, They didn't exactly turn Bridgewater into this great quarterback, and I would argue that Teddy Bridgewater, when he came to the Panthers, had accomplished more, done more in the NFL than what Sam Darnold has done in the NFL.
1: Are you uh, are are you as as bullish on the Chargers uh, as seemingly everyone who covers the league is right now?
0: Yeah. and, And the reason is they have a six foot six, 242 pound God who is playing at quarterback and his arm is golden and he fires lightning rods off of his hands. And I'm thinking you threw 30 touchdown passes as a rookie Justin Herbert and they won, I think their last four games of the season and everybody points to the one loss record for the, for the chargers last year and, and looks at Herbert sideways. If you really look at what happened in like three games, he had them with a chance to kick a winning field goal, or they lost the lead on defense in the fourth quarter or you know they just got blown out where they got outscored. There was really only a couple of games. I think the Miami game is one of them where Herbert let that team down. Uh, other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of letdown by him. They got him an offensive line to protect him. If they can avoid some injuries, I mean, where's where's the flaw? Where's what's Joey Bosa's back? Where's Where's the problem with that team?
2: People in our business seem to be back on the Patriots bandwagon. and I understand uh, they get a lot of people back off COVID, uh, out of a COVID opt-out. Um, and, you know, Belichick gets the benefit of the doubt a lot of times. But two, two things that don't win, we know, Armando, are rookie quarterbacks and the team that spends the most in March. And the Patriots are led by a rookie quarterback and they're the team that spent the most in march uh do you think they buck the trends and re-emerge or um you know that division pretty well where do you think they land
0: so let's define re-emerge do they re-emerge as a super bowl contender playoffs right uh they're a playoff contender them and the dolphins are vying for second place in the afc east i think we can all agree on that the buffalo bills are the more complete or the most complete team in that division, and they happen to have the best quarterback. So those two things kind of go hand in hand. Plus, you know, they've actually done it. They've accomplished. They've been to the playoffs. They've won in the playoffs. Everybody's expecting them to take the next step.
1: Speaking of playoffs, is this playoffs or bust this year for Mike Mayock and John Gruden in Vegas?
0: Oh, Mike, look. Uh, not for John Gruden, I don't think (laughs) he signed a 10 year contract True, and and he's four years into it or five, you know, five years into it at the end of this. However, uh, they haven't had a winning season. They haven't been to the playoffs and Mike Mayock kind of hung a target on himself, telling everyone, we believe that we're a playoff team. So that's going to be an interesting career chat at the end of the season if the Raiders in possibly the NFL's strongest division don't make the playoffs and Mike Mayock has to convince ownership, I did a really good job. I really did. What we thought was a playoff team and we didn't make the playoffs, but I'm good. That's, that's a rough conversation to have. And I think he's going to have to have it because I don't see the Raiders as a playoff team.
1: You know, every so often, Armando, there's a quarterback that when you name a team, it takes you a a second, maybe five, maybe ten, to think about who the starting quarterback is for that team because they just don't really leave much of an impression one way or the other. And the guy I'm thinking about with that right now is Daniel Jones with the Giants, where I, I don't know what Daniel Jones really is at this point in his career with the Giants. I don't know if they should have faith in him, if he's the future of the franchise. I just really don't know and I guess my question is if you don't know, do you really know when it comes to a quarterback like that?
0: Well, in year three, that's a little problematic. Yep. Uh, what we do know about Daniel Jones is that he has led the NFL in turnovers the last two years. And as a quarterback, that's problematic. And it's not just interceptions, by the way, it's interceptions and fumbles. And of course, that's. You know, that's a product of your probably your offensive line isn't very good. But the Giants did an outstanding job of gathering together the NFL's best offensive line for this season. No, they really didn't. They have one of, you know, maybe one of the top five worst offensive lines in the NFL right now, despite the fact that they've poured resources into it. And I don't see Daniel Jones surviving. Uh, I don't see him prospering behind an offensive line that really is porous. And by the way, the Washington football team has one of the best front sevens in the NFL. Dallas, like we talked about earlier, they've got pass rushers and Dan Quinn is going to get after people. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles have talent up front. It's going to be a rough, rough sledding for Daniel Jones.
2: Yeah, the GM that drafted him is going to be gone too in a year, right? So uh, that doesn't bode well for him. Jamar Chase uh, has been dropping the ball for the Bengals. This is a big pick for the Bengals. who chose to get Joe Burrow another pass catcher instead of uh, prioritizing protection. And he says he's not making excuses, but... After sitting out a year, the NFL ball is tougher to see than the NCAA football. It doesn't have that white stripe on it. He's got to look for the laces. How concerned are you when you hear a big-time rookie talking like that, heading into his first weekend, of big-time ball?
0: Yeah, I, you know, the old, I'm not making excuses, Paul, but let me give you some excuses. that That really doesn't play well and I don't think it plays well in a locker room, but am I concerned that Jamar Chase uh, won't be able to catch passes in 2021? Uh, Look, he's got a concentration issue right now. If he is of strong mind, he'll be fine. If he's of weak mind, it's gonna be a problem. So that's that's as much as I can break it down, uh, he has the skill. He has the athletic aptitude. He's done it before. It's up here.
1: I, I, I want you to break down the eight finalists of the new Washington football yes, team. Yes, please name rank them. And g- give us, at least just give us your favorite between Red Hogs, Defenders, Armada, <laughs> Presidents, Brigade, Commanders, Red Wolves, or just simply keeping it the Washington football team? It's
2: not a good one in the bunch. Uh,
0: actually, I don't like Armada. I like Armando. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> the Armandos. Um, yeah, I agree with Paul. There's not a really good one or compelling one in the bunch. Um, look, I guess I'm in the minority. I liked Redskins. So I, I thought that was cool. I thought their their whole symbol was cool. Um, I, I lived in South Florida, very close to um, a reservation, uh, the Miccosukees, and I talked to a lot of those people, and they were like, "Whatever, we're we're good, we're not offended by it." And so, I guess I'm not politically correct, but. At this stage it's it's you know I, I just can't get into the whole you know Washington football team main game. Well
1: and the, here's the 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 funny part about it Armando getting into that game these these options are so bad in my opinion that they've made what was kind of a silly option to begin with with Washington football team, the best of a bad bunch. I think you just yes keep it Washington have. football team at this point.
2: Well, they're denying that's the eight finalists. I wonder if they're denying it because of the response to
0: it. Just so they keep go it back Washington to some old team. ones. On the other hand, what could they come up with? I mean, the Potomacs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. Look, this is a place where uh, the Washington Bullets turned into – you know, I don't even remember. I don't know what they turned into. The right? Wizards.
1: Yeah, the Wizards. The Wizards, okay.
0: So I guess the Wizards is not that bad. Uh, but I like Bullets better. I just, look, I'm an old guy that likes old school stuff. <laughs> Can't <laughs> deny it, and I'm not going to try.
1: Um, I, I I don't know if this is an old school response, but when Jimmy Garoppolo was told, when asked about being the, the starting quarterback in San Francisco, he said, well, it, it's official now, I guess, uh, was his response to that. What, what do you make of this 49ers team and, and that division that they're in? It's so tough, but I, I'm a Kyle Shanahan believer.
0: Yeah, you know, the entire – I wouldn't say the entire roster, but the entire feel out of that team is we're the smartest guys in the room. And, you know, Garoppolo – Knows more than you and Shanahan knows more than you, and now Trey Lance, who arrived 30 seconds ago, knows more than you, and Nick Bosa knows more than you. Um, guys, stay healthy and be good and just let it be that, please. I, I'm a big Kyle Shanahan believer too, but you know, he didn't exactly do a great job last year and I know that they had a lot of injuries, they had a lot of turnover, the quarterback situation was a mess. Um but that was a Super Bowl team the year before. So which one of those are you going to be this year? Which which are you going to be closer to? And in that division, that's a rough division as we all know. I like the Rams in that division. Uh, I I think Matt, I believe in Matt Stafford more than I believe in Kyle Shanahan.
1: Armando Salguero, he is senior NFL writer with Outkick.com. He is in Tampa for Tampa Bay, Dallas tonight. Football is back, Armando. We are pumped up about that. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate you hopping on
0: with us. Enjoy the game. My, My pleasure, man. Thank you.
1: Armando Salguero, he'll be joining us weekly right here on Outkick 360. Called us men like Steve Spurrier. Yeah, men? That man? Was, uh, always great. Men? Love it. Love being called a man. Uh, when we come back, <laughs> we're going to give you the FanDuel Daily Parlay. Also, got a little discussion about the Power 5 and how it's really the Power 2. That's coming up next. It's Outkick 360. Time to get rich on Outkick 360 with our FanDuel Sports Book, Daily Parlay. We're going to give you a little baseball. We're going to give you a little football with this one. Dylan Taylor, our production assistant uh, for this fall semester, has had a good track record with parlays. I think he's won at least one, maybe two with us. Two? Let's two. Two. We'll go two. He, he started to say three. Then he said two. We'll say two. Here's the next winner. We're going to show it to you right now. Courtesy of Dylan Taylor, our parlay tonight. Cowboys plus nine and a half. All the way up to nine and a half. Braves minus one and a half. He thinks they're going to win it easily against the Nationals this evening after losing last night. And the Toronto Blue Jays, Paul, much to your demise. Yeah, it's not wrong. On the money line against the New York Yankees. $5 wins you close to $30. That is our daily parlay I did, with FanDuel Sportsbook. I
2: did a parlay on the football game tonight, two days ago. Yeah. And it was Dallas 8 8. It's up to nine and a half. Tell us your parlay.
1: I'm, I'm interested, like and uh, I I, I had, like this parlay. I like anytime you can do the the player performance yes. stuff within the same game. So
2: I got plus nine eighty six with the Cowboys at eight and a, eight. You can get them at nine and a half. Now, Dak Prescott over 13 and a half rushing yards, which I think is a real easy one. Ronald Jones forty plus yards rushing, and Mike Evans sixty plus yards receiving. Five dollars pays fifty four thirty two as of the seventh
1: I like it. I think that's good. So uh, some news from Pittsburgh T.J. Watt getting paid Paul TJ. Watt is getting paid TJ. Watt is now you know it's always
2: uh, you've got to see the structure to understand just how relevant it is, but T.J. Watt um, eighty million fully guaranteed four new years on his one year remaining Um, total value, $122 million being called the highest paid defensive player in football. This was hanging over the Steelers. And it's always bad when you've got a contract situation hanging over your team, um, especially if it doesn't come to fruition. And then, you know, most teams don't talk deals after the season starts, hangs over your star player, hangs over your locker room. Really good to get it done before the season starts. And so the Steelers will play this weekend with their star player very happy. And, uh, and the locker room was all in support of T.J. Watt getting paid. They usually
1: are. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, something that, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about, uh, a college football topic here, discussing the, the conference realignment, the shifting, Oklahoma and Texas, the SEC. What does this do to the Power Five? What does this do to the Big 12? And really, the more you think about it, and we knew this when it happened, the SEC was separating themselves from everyone else. But really, when we start talking in in terms of power five, I just don't think it exists anymore, Paul. I think it's a power two. I think it's SEC and Big Ten. And really, it's SEC, slight notch below Big Ten. And then you go to another class system below that where it's ACC and Pac-12. And then I think you go a little bit further down, and it's Big 12 American Athletic Conference. But um, I think that we're probably running out of the old Power 5 moniker because has, there's not really a Power 5 anymore. Has
2: the Big 12 sent out its invitations? Yes, it came out that those invitations were being sent. So
1: officially, and then they do it. I think it's, a, it, it's an invitation, but it's also you have to ask to join the conference. So I know that UCF and Houston officially applied for the Big 12 this week. And the other two will be BYU and Cincinnati. It's it's the right move. I mean, to me, that's the no brainer. Four teams to bring in for the Big Twelve, and it looks like they're going to make it happen. And I think what you've created here, Paul, is a really if you you like close games, you like not knowing who's going to win right. every year, right? That's the Big Twelve now. I mean, it's not the best conference in football, but when you look at it from a football perspective, there's going to be twelve teams because there's eight remaining. They're adding these four twelve teams that. Have a shot, you know, maybe outside of Kansas every year to win it, right? I mean, it's very balanced when you look at the yeah, new conference.
2: But, um, you know, it's, it's bigger um, and it needs to be bigger to survive and sustain, right? But what you're adding, you know, what the SEC adds is to all-time powerhouse programs and what the Big 12 is adding is what's, what it could get, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're nice programs in their own right and everything, but it's not like, oh, if you had a chance to get Houston, you would go grab them. Houston's one of them, right? See, I don't even yep. it, like Houston, you even Cincinnati, know. Cincinnati? Uh,
1: UCF, and BYU. Right. Those
2: are simply the four next programs in line. If you look at the map of programs and say, who could we get? Okay, here are the next four. You're not like, man, we've got a chance to get Cincinnati? It's not like when the SEC heard about Texas and Oklahoma and was like, there's no way we can't do this.
1: Well, look, it's a step up for those four programs. I think we could debate how big of a step up it is to leave the American Athletic Conference. But what it does, it does create, again, for the purposes of, uh, of equity, and having something compelling with a conference race, it creates a pretty compelling race every year. Yeah, I think, it, these, I think programs, it does more to good. keep
2: it power five than you're, you'd give it credit for. I mean, it's five legitimate conferences. Yeah. They're, not, they're not what they, I mean, they re- automatically revive well, themselves is, into
1: being relevant from the, the, what they were minus Texas and Oklahoma. Again, I, that, I like that new conference. And it's going to be fun to who's going to win it, but it's not part of the power fight because it's really now the power. It's the fifth. It's very much the fifth. I don't think it's the fifth. I I don't think that they're in the same league. When you look at revenue and teams with SEC and Big Ten, it's SEC up here, slight step Big Ten, then another step to ACC, and then you know way down here you've got the Big Twelve. It's just it's a weird. it's, It's a difficult separation of powers right now. But you know, the more I think about it. You've got 11 of 12 teams who should be in contention or could be every year in the Big 12, based on history, based on geography, based on resources, maybe outside of Kansas who just can't get it together. Here's my question for you. But here's the problem with the SEC. And, and let me get to this quick, Paul. And then sure. we'll, we'll go to the next one. Um, yes, it's a better conference when you add Texas and Oklahoma. But I don't think that you're really including everyone in that championship mix. No. It's a no-brainer to be a part of the SEC if you can do it. It's a no-brainer for every program there. But I also don't think by bringing in Texas and Oklahoma that you're giving Kentucky a better chance to win an SEC football title or Missouri no, you're giving a worse chance. or Arkansas, right? I mean, that's, that's the weird part of it is it's a less compelling race for a champion, but it's a much better league. Well, and here, the Big 12 has created a, a much more compelling race for a championship and a lesser league.
2: Yeah. Well, here's my question about depth versus top heaviness. Let's look at the Pac-12, given UCLA's start. Let's say UCLA, a storied program that looks like it could have a revival right now, has a great season, and gets in the playoff and goes to the, uh, let's not have them win it. Let's have them go to the final. So they win a semifinal, and they go to the final, and they lose to Bama. How much does that do for the Pac-12 to have a program go to the final and maybe stand toe-to-toe with Alabama or, or, or not, not get you know, destroyed? Play, play a good game against Alabama. How much does that do for the entire Pac-10 as opposed to having a broader, good Pac-12 season? I call it Pac-10 still. Pac-12 season. What's more valuable for the Pac-12? somehow a broader good Pac-12 season or UCLA going to the national championship game?
1: Not getting killed by Bama is the best case scenario. I mean, I think, you know, having, first that it would be great for UCLA to have that type of run. Uh, Oregon's also ranked right now, didn't look great against Fresno State. They get a big opportunity against Ohio State this weekend, but getting to that playoff and playing close to an Alabama What's, or, what or call an it Ohio close? State or whoever Under it may be. Under 20 is close? In yeah, Bama I mean, terms? I, I think under three touchdowns, it's so sad to Isn't that to say. ridiculous? But under three touchdowns. Redefining close, courtesy of Tuscaloosa well, and that's, Alabama. That's the difficult part, right? Is that, um, you know, Alabama's killing SEC teams too. I mean, it's not like they kill everybody. No. So it's not, I don't know, it's not some grave error to get destroyed by Bama. But what does that do for the Pac 12? Do you reclassify
2: been, the Pac 12 in terms of, of the Power 5 if
1: UCLA turns back into a national power? Yes, because you would have another power in that conference, but it all comes down to getting to the, the highest level of the sport in a playoff and acquitting yourself well against a Bama. Anything other than that, if they go and lose by five touchdowns to Bama, the whole narrative is, boy, and you still had a that. great story, great season, but the SEC so dominant and Bama so dominant doesn't matter. I, I think that's, that's the problem with it. I just, I'm, I'm fascinated with these power moves being made by conferences and how it's going to restructure everything. And, um, you know, I, I was reading a piece of The Athletic where they followed, we're going to talk about Clark Lee and Vanderbilt in the next hour, the Tennessee Power a little bit, followed Clark Lee around. I think it was, it was Barton Simmons, who's the general manager now of, of Vanderbilt football, was a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 sports. And he, he said in recruiting... He said, What we tell kids the SEC is all that matters in football, because that's true. And that really was kind of powerful for me to hear. And I'm thinking, he's not really wrong when it comes to that. The Big Ten, I mean, there there there's still programs that matter here and there. There are conferences that matter, I think, but what he's saying, I think, which is unfortunate for the rest of America, is becoming more and more true. Outside of the SEC, and I'll throw the Big Ten in there also. It doesn't matter as much in the other conferences if your end goal is to dominate. If your end goal is to make the most money and to win championships, which is the goal of major college sports, it's tough to argue where the other things matter. You could do pretty well at Ohio State or Clemson. But again, see, this is where I'm, I'm torn, though, Paul, because I find myself more interested in mid-tier college football teams playing on a Saturday. Because it's competitive. battling for 7-5 because they're good games, it matters to those fan bases, and they're never going to compete for a national title in the next five years. But those are the most compelling games. I am hey, more welcome And welcome to my side. I've been saying this I'm forever. I want more, compelling games. All about compelling games. I, I am more and more. Uh, well, it's, it's not just the compelling games. It's, I'm more and more disenchanted <laughs> with Bama because of the dominance of Bama. And I'm not blaming Bama for that. This is just me People need to go
2: catch up to Bama. It's not Bama. I'm
1: more, you know, at times I can be more interested in how big the Missouri-Kentucky game is going to be Saturday for both those teams to try to finish third in the SEC East. That's a battle probably for third in the SEC, which is a big deal to Missouri or Kentucky to finish right behind Georgia and Florida or maybe even finish second, which would be enormous. There are still things to play for even when you're not playing for the national championship, I guess is my point. But the way all this stuff shakes out is going to be fascinating to follow. Let's uh, take a quick break. We got the Tennessee Power Hour coming up. We're going to talk a little Clark Lee, their loss to, to ETSU with Vanderbilt, and some things that Clark Lee has said since that loss, discuss his approach a little bit. Also, big Titans topic coming your way. Jonathan Hutton sent me a text and said, I have five national narratives about the Titans that I want to throw your way, and you guys tell me what you think. We're going to get into those five national narratives on the Titans. Which ones are we buying? Which ones are we selling? We will discuss and preview Titans Cardinals. We'll do all that in the Tennessee Power Hour when we return. This is Outkick 360. We're coming to you live from the 6th and Peabody Studios.